Welcome to episode 44 of the Bash Mania podcast, where today Olympic gold medalist Brandon Slay joins the show. I really wanted to have Brandon on today, not just because he's an Olympic gold medalist and obviously an incredible wrestler and wrestling coach, but because he's a man of wisdom. And I think we need more of that these days. So we're going to dive right into this conversation. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, be sure to smash that subscribe button on whatever audio service you're listening to right now. If you didn't know, it is available everywhere from Apple to Spotify to Stitcher, you name it. Ladies and gentlemen, Olympic gold medalist Brandon Slay. It's Bashomania! Let me tell you something, brother. He gave us everything he had in him tonight. What you gonna do when Bashomania runs wild? Oh, it's gonna be a good one. And business just picked up here on the podcast. Yeah. How you doing, Brandon? How's your quarantine going? Uh, I'm doing really well, Justin. Thanks for having me on the show. And quarantine, I would say that sounds almost like a really negative term, but we've really tried to turn it into a positive thing around uh, here at our home with the Slay family. If you don't know, I'm, I'm married. I have four kids, so I have an eight-year-old, a six-year-old, four-year-old, three girls, and then we finally had a little boy. So he's almost two it. years. So. <laughs> Yeah, we've just been uh, just trying to take advantage of what I'm calling just margin time. Yep. So this extra time I have, like during the week, you know, I've been spending time at nine o'clock with my eight year old doing math from about nine to ten. I've been reading with my six year old, yep. taking the kids on walks. You know, like today we just went down to the creek and you know my son's throwing rocks in the <laughs> creek and um, just just trying to take advantage of doing things that I would say we normally don't have the time to do. Yep. And I think that's the important time during during what's going on is I think we need to continue to be thoughtful and empathetic of all the people that are struggling around the world. But on the other hand, I think it's important to say, well, in the midst of that, what are we doing with our lives yeah. and our time? And how can we spend more time with our family and our friends and do more podcasts or more, T- call totally. more friends that we haven't talked to in a while, call more family members we haven't talked to in a while. So I would say we're trying to embrace the silver lining. Yeah. Uh, with all that's going on. Yeah. And that was kind of my first question is like, as a Christian, as a coach, as a husband, as a father, like, you know, I, I kind of look at it and, and the more, even the message at church this morning, but was very heavily focused on, you know, what's going to happen on the other side of this and how much good can God do? And as an athlete, sharpening your mind as a coach, kind of going through your game plan, like as a Christian, as a coach, as a family man, what are you doing during this time to really kind of take advantage of it? Kind of a you know continuing on what you were just talking about about spending time with family and spending time doing those kind of core basics. Well, I mean, not to not to like pat myself on the back or, or, or overly spiritualize it, but but I really am trying to spend more time in God's Word. Yeah, um, and I've been waking up earlier and, and trying to spend my time here in my office, just you know, reading my. You know, my, my Jesus calling and then reading my daily, daily devotional book and then digging into the word and trying to prepare my heart and mind for for the day that's to come. And what that's really done is I think that's just helped me. Hopefully, hope my hopefully my wife would say just be a better, better husband. Yeah. And hopefully my kids would say that I've been a more available, present father versus having to worry about, hey, I got to hurry up, catch the train. I, I got to drive to work and I've got a meeting at nine. I've got a meeting at 10. I've got a meeting at this time, then we got practice and then I'll hurry home and around when I get home. It's, you know, I think that I've probably been too hustle and bustle yep. lately. And I think that this time has, um, 
this time home has allowed me hopefully to be more present as a, as a leader. Yeah, I think it's amazing to see what's happening with people just kind of slowing down. And, you know, I do, I've seen over the last couple of months specifically, it seems like you're having so much wisdom being shared on Twitter and social. And it's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on this podcast. And I think to really give people the whole picture of who you are, you know, I want to kind of start with your, your athletic story and going back, you know, I know you had all state honors in football. You were three time state champ in Texas. Um, and I'm curious to start with your athletic journey. Kind of talk me through, you know, starting wrestling at six, getting better, moving on to being a three time, not one or two, but a three time state champ. What all went into that? Well, I think what all went into it was time. I started wrestling when I was six in Amarillo, Texas. And so my dad took me to the local YMCA. And there they had a, a youth wrestling program. And so I started wrestling when I was six. Started playing football when I was in fifth grade. And so I, I think a lot of people in our society, they think when somebody becomes successful, they go, oh, he's so talented and he's such an amazing athlete. And, and of course, there's people that are talented and that are amazing sure. in, their, in their craft. But you know, for me, it's I started wrestling when I was six, and I got the gold medal when I was you know, almost 25. So it's not like I've been wrestling for two years. I've wrestled for 19 years of my life, and I think you know if you play a guitar for 19 years, you'll probably be able to play a few songs. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> I think just you know you asked what went into. It. I think time was a big part of it, and then I think the wrestling side. I'll get into the football side in a minute. But I think the wrestling side was then also when I was about 10, I started wrestling freestyle and Greco which became a really important part of my life. So that means I made wrestling year round. Yeah. So I didn't play Y pony baseball like a lot of kids. You know, I started wrestling freestyle in April, May, June, July. And then once I started wrestling year round that, you know, I'm 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, then all of a sudden you have the opportunity to make these cadet world teams. Yeah. And so thankfully I made the cadet world team in 1990. And actually Greco was my first world team. And I got third in the world that year. And then the next year I actually made the, the cadet world team in freestyle and go and i had a choice whether i want to wrestle the freestyle worlds or the greco worlds and actually i chose greco because wow. i would had success the year before sure so my first two world teams are greco and then i think you know there's tons of detail but just to you know to, to fast track it is that when you start making these world teams and you put on a red white and blue singlet yeah. and you represent your country and you're not just representing your you know your hometown or your high school that there's a lot of pride and excitement that goes into it. And that's really when I started believing that I could be an Olympic champion, because when you get third in the world as a 15 year old and you see the, the flag behind your back, right. Even though they're playing <laughs> the Turkish national anthem, you know, but there's a American flag behind my back. I thought, wow, if I can do this at 15, you know, 10 years from now in 2000, you know, this is not a pipe dream. This is possible. And so, Again, what, what went back into that was just a lot of time. It was freestyle Greco. It was setting goals of wanting to be the state champion and the national champion and to wrestle in college and, of course, to be an Olympic champion. And, you know, it's funny looking back at your career, you know, you were a three-time state champ. And then, you know, in my notes here, I wrote only in quotes because I think it's kind of stupid to say only a runner up on the national level because it's such an accomplishment. <laughs> but when you go from being a three time state champ and then you get to college and it's a little different, you lose some big matches, you, you you're runner up. How do you keep the proper perspective? I feel like one one theme I see a lot is kids kind of fade out in wrestling because they have uber success early on. 
They get to the next level. It's a bit tougher. They don't see that same level of success, and they kind of throw the towel in. When you get to the national level in your career and you weren't having the same success you were having at a high school level, what was your perspective to keep getting better and to not get discouraged by defeat? Well, I'd say a big part of that was my love for freestyle, um, you know, and Greco wrestling, but I really began to lean more towards freestyle as I got older. And I think, you know, in our country, we're, uh, we're really in the wrestling world where we're definitely more uh, addicted to folk style. Sure. And I think we have an inability to separate the two. Yeah. And you have to remember, they don't wrestle folk style in the Olympics. Right. And I think a lot of people have this thought like, oh, well, you have to be an NCAA champion in folk style to even have a chance to be an Olympic champion in freestyle, which that just logically doesn't make sense because, right. you know, they're two different styles. So, you know, for me, it was always making sure I separate that. And I'd always had, always had more success in the international styles than I'd had in folk style. So when when I did not become an NCAA champion, as you mentioned, I got second twice. Yeah. For me, it wasn't so much like, oh, well, I didn't become the national champ. So that means I'm, my whole Olympic dream's over. Right. I didn't think about it that way. I thought about it like I'd always had more success in international styles. And so I was thankful that I was a two-time All-American and reached the NCAA finals twice. But I had this big dream to be an Olympic champion. And so um, the lack of, I guess, being an NCAA champion did sidetrack me. And then what really, really helped is I moved out to the Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And the same time that I became a resident at the Olympic Training Center, almost that same week, the new coach moved in. And the new coach was a guy named Kevin Jackson, who pretty quick wrestler. <laughs> yeah, well, but but he's interesting for for me because any any type of doubts I may have had, he destroyed them. And what I mean by that is that as I start quickly learned, is like, well, how many times did you win the NCAA championships? You know, Coach Jackson, because I knew he was Olympic champion, two time world champion, right? So he had three gold medals. Yep. And so I was like, well, how many times did you win the NCAA's? He's like, never. I never won the NCAA championship. He's like, Brandon, you don't have to be an NCAA champion to be an Olympic champion. You hear me? You don't have to be an NCAA champion to be an Olympic champion. And so here's my coach telling me that that those two things, you know, they're not connected. They're separate. Yep. And I had just as much ability to accomplish that dream clearly as he did. And so um, I didn't have those doubts. And I really thought that that, that was going to be possible. So was if you, you're runner-up and you lose, is your focus immediately like – this doesn't affect the Olympic dream? Yeah, I didn't really see it that way at all. I mean, my, my dream was to be – one of my dreams was to be yeah. an NCAA champion, and so that didn't happen. You know, I lost to Joe Williams, who's pretty good, yeah. um, my senior year. You know, he's a three-time <laughs> champ, fifth as a freshman. Yeah. And then I lost to Mark Branch, who was a four-time finalist. Yeah. You know, he was, he was second twice, right, and he won twice. So, you know, the two guys I lost to clearly weren't chumps. They were outstanding sure. wrestlers. Yep. So, you know, when I when I got second my junior year at UNI and I got second Cleveland State that year, it, it didn't impact my Olympic dreams at all. And also, I think you have to see this whole thing in context. And what I mean by that is that I was living in Philadelphia and especially my freshman, sophomore and the beginning of my third year is that Foxcatcher was was running strong. And so I was having the opportunity to go out and train with Dave Schultz on a frequent basis and be around um, you know, the Dan Shades and the Brian Dolphs and the Valentin Jordanovs and Valentin Jordanov would bring all these guys from Bulgaria in. So that was my freestyle culture. And so I had a lot of confidence in who I was training with, who I was around, who was planting seeds of, of belief inside of me. So the whole like, you know, NCAA 
um, titles, again, they didn't impact my Olympic dream. And I think um, nowadays you look back and you look at a guy like Jamil Kelly, he never even became an All-American. It's wild. In Oklahoma State. He was never even an All-American. And he got second in the Olympics, right? And then we see a lot of these guys. I'm not going to name names because my heart is not is not to be disrespectful. Yeah. But we got a lot of these guys that are these huge names in college wrestling that that have won NCAA titles yeah. and multiple NCAA titles, and they've made like four or five world teams. And when you mention their names, people are like, "Oh, they're like the gods of wrestling." Well, right. they they have no medals. Right. They they never medaled in the world championships, and so. Again, I'm just making those the point that those two things aren't um, those aren't highly connected. You don't have to be an All American and an NCAA champion to be an Olympic champion because they're two different styles. Yeah, and and speaking of your college career, <clears throat> excuse me. You know, I, I've heard you talk about aiming big and and how as a wrestler teaches you not only aim big in wrestling but aim big in life and i'm curious if that went into the fact of going to a school like penn and getting a degree from the wharton school of business what was the plan intent behind that well the plan was is that you know when you're 16 17 people start asking you what do they start asking you hey what are you studying college what are you going to be when you grow up of course you know those questions start coming in and when you're an immature 16 year old 17-year-old, what do I do? I look around and I see who's successful in Amarillo, Texas. Who's doing really well? Yeah. Who, who, who are the dads taking their families to Hawaii You know, during the summertime? Who's got a pool in the backyard? Right. Again, it's my immature mentality. And so the people that were doing that were, were businessmen. Yep. You know, they were bankers. You know, they, they own their own business. And so when you asked me when I was 16 or 17, hey, what do you want to do for a living? I'm like, you know, I want to, I want to be a businessman. I want to major in business. Well, the whole aiming big thing, I said, well, what's the number one business school in the United States of America? And it was the Warren School of Business. So I started making just a simple kind of um, call, like a, a simple metric where I started looking at what was the best school that I could go to as far as business, what were the top universities, and what were the top wrestling schools? Mm-hmm. So clearly at that period of time back then, you know, the University of Pennsylvania wasn't one of the top wrestling schools, but it was one of the top academic schools. So as far as my mentalities, I thought I'm not going to be able to wrestle until I'm 45. There's going to be a period of time that, you know, I'm going to metaphorically put my shoes in the middle of the mat. Yep. And so what am I going to do for the rest of my life? And I thought it would be, it would be wise to make sure that I'm preparing for life after wrestling. So you know, that was a big part of why I chose Penn. And, um, I've had zero regret, regret since making that decision because I think it, it was, um, an intricate part of, of making me who I am today. And I'm curious at the comparison and the juxtaposition of the fact that, you know, when I ask how you got so good young when you started wrestling at six, moving on to be an Olympic champ, you can kind of isolate some of that time and say, okay, you became a national champion freestyle in 98 and 99. You win the Open. You become the outstanding wrestler of the tournament. Then you become an Olympic champion. I'm curious in that small window where you were just on fire, the best of the best. What do you think contributed most to your success at that point in time when you graduated college and say, I, I want to be better. I do. That Olympic dream is here before me now. Like NCAA was a dream. I don't, that's in the past. Now it's an Olympic dream. What do you think contributed most to your success at that level at that point in time? Well, I think it's, it's always interesting to me that I've heard people say, guys, that Brandon Slay guy came out of nowhere. <laughs> it always kind of makes me laugh. It's and like the overnight just, success in business. Yeah, right? it always just kind of tells me that they don't really 
respectfully, they don't know anything about my career. Sure. But they don't know that I made two cadet world teams, won two medals. They don't know I made the junior world team. And yeah. I got fifth in the junior worlds. They don't know that I won the university nationals twice in freestyle yeah. before I even won the senior open. Right. It just always tells me they don't really, you know, they don't follow my career, which also tells me that, again, Americans, they judge um, wrestling success based on the NCAAs. Yep. Which tells me that too. So they're just looking to see how you did in college. And if you didn't win the national tournament, like they don't know much about you. So I would just say, I don't feel like I came out of nowhere. It was, there was a lot of preparation that went into that, but I would say that, uh, I reached a point in my career when I got second, the NCAAs twice, and I moved out to Colorado Springs to the Olympic training center that I did get to a point in my life, um, life and wrestling career that there was a, there was definitely a, an emptiness to it. Yep. What I mean by that is that, that I've won plenty of wrestling matches. I've gotten my hand raised plenty of times and, and I knew the, the thrill of victory and I experienced plenty of the agony of defeat as well. And I got to a point at about a, as a 22 year old that I was asking those big questions. Like, what am I doing? Like, why am I wrestling? Yep. Why am I here? And it was just, I really believe in God's sovereignty, meaning that's just a fancy word for his timing mm-hmm. and being in control of everything is there was a guy from the Olympic training center who was a, he was associate pastor at Hilltop Baptist church. There, his name's Tony Salingo and Tony ran a Bible study at the Olympic training center. And, and I knew that, and I'd kind of had this desire to, to want to go. I just, I never built up the courage to go. Yeah. Something I knew I should do that, yeah. that I had not done yet. And and he would see me, and I think he was he was always one to come ask me, you know, some questions. But I would, unfortunately, avoid him. You know, yeah. on one particular day, it was a Sunday, and I was kind of over in the corner hanging out with some people at the Olympic Training Center. I was getting ready just to watch football a day, my recovery day. He came up to me, and and uh, I couldn't really get out of the, the the little bench I was in. I was kind of cornered, <laughs> and because if I could have gotten out, I probably would have t- right. taken off. Right. But he walked up to me and just said. Hey, Brandon, I've been mean to ask you something. I'm like, me? He was like, yeah, I just, I got a question for you. And I was like, okay. And he just asked me, he said, hey, what do you think your purpose is? And, and I was 22. So I was like, I don't know if I even knew what the meaning of that word was. I don't know if I could have defined that for you at the moment. Yep. And I just said, my purpose? And he's like, yeah, just, you know, why are you here at the Olympic Training Center? Like, why do you wrestle? Like, you know, why are you alive? Like, what's, what's the point? And what's interesting is I'd been asking myself that question. Now I didn't think about the word purpose in my head, right. but I'd been asking myself that question, those questions of why. And I looked at him and I was like, uh, I guess I'm here to wrestle and, you know, I guess I'm here to, to lift, you know, um, I have, I have to lift weights tomorrow at nine o'clock. And then I kind of did the whole like, uh, yeah. and he's like, okay, you know, I just, I just want to know. And I, and, and I think it was so wise for him just to walk off sure. and let that question percolate, you know, in my heart. And he walked off and as he walked off, I walked back to my room. I thought, I just told that guy the reason I'm living was to lift weights, <laughs> right? I was just like, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Like there's gotta be so much more than doing power cleans in the morning. Right. It's got to be so much more than just training for wrestling tournaments. And I think that's when God really began to, it was almost like that kind of like cracked my heart open. Sure. And I think that's when he really began to pursue me. And, you know, that's when I had this desire to go to church. 
again, because I wanted to answer those questions of why. And I went to, I found a church, this non-denominational church, Rocky Mountain Calvary Chapel. And, you know, I went in, it was in an old bowling alley, which first blew my mind because I thought Amarillo, <laughs> Texas, red brick, white steeple, everybody dressed right. up, singing hymns. And so I rolled in, there's a guy with dreadlocks, you know, there's Asians, there's African-Americans, it's, you know, there's Hispanics. People had football jerseys on and flip-flops, you know, they were playing electric guitar and drums in the band. And so it kind of um, exploded my my idea of what church was. And I remember somebody telling me that day, like, hey, they could tell that I was like going, what's going on around here? Right. <laughs> they said, hey, Brandon, church isn't a building. It's a group of people. Yep. I was like, wow, yeah, I'd never heard that before. And so there's a lot of detail that goes into that. But just to tell you, that just getting back in the church, surround myself with some Christians, started going to Tony Slingo's Bible study every Wednesday night. And then eventually I just made this genuine commitment just to say, Lord, I mean, I believe in you. Lord, I believe you created the heavens and the earth. I believe that you died for me um, through your son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. I believe you paid for all the junk in my life, all my sins, so I wouldn't have to pay for it. You paid for the total wage of the sin of the world, and I could never earn salvation. I surrender my life to you. And there was just a genuine decision I made. And you know, it wasn't like some dove came out of the sky and landed on my head or anything. <laughs> right. um, it was just a, I, I believed in that, and I received that into my life. And I would say that everything, Everything in my life changed. The way I saw uh, my family, the way I saw friendships, the way I looked at women yeah. as God's creation, as God's daughter, the way that um, I walked, the way that I talked, the music I listened to. I started throwing away a bunch of music that had you know, cuss words in it and it was not encouraging to me. Yeah. And then um, just in wrestling changed. And, my and, motive for why I wrestled changed. And, and, and if you get greener with that, right, when you start – slowly changing your life and things are happening. And, you know, I think a lot of times people think of getting saved or they think of, you know, quote, finding God. They think of like being broken, homeless, drug addict. They don't realize that sometimes it's that slow change where you are all of a sudden getting rid of music. You're, you're slowly starting to do this. When you, when you were going through that and you're wrestling and training, what were you noticing that was different about your wrestling? Well, so one thing I would say you talked about, you know, finding God. First of all, we we're, we never find God because God's right. not lost, right? So yeah. God, he, he he finds us. He seeks us out. He pursues our heart. Yeah. And it's nothing. It's not because I'm smart or I'm intelligent or, or I figured out some great lesson. It's like God, he he pursued my heart, and and I don't understand how that works totally, but but I I accepted that. Yeah. And um, the way that 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 started changing my wrestling career is that I was no longer going to practice or training to become an Olympic champion with the thought that that was going to fulfill me or satisfy me. There wasn't this idea that I'm going to practice today. I want to get 50 takedowns and turn somebody, you know, 40 times because that's, what's going to make me feel better that day. And I think in the past I'd always, I'd always thought that I'm going to go have a great day at practice and then that's going to like pump my tires up and I'm going to feel more of a man today. I'm going to be tough. I'm going to be strong. That, that, that motivation changed. I started going to practice because I loved wrestling. I started going to practice because I wanted to use the gifts that God blessed me with to the best of my ability. I started going to practice because I believed I had the potential to be the best wrestler in the world. And I wanted to use those gifts to glorify God, to draw attention to him. And I didn't want to become Olympic champion. So, you know, I could, I could wave my 
you know, my gold medal around and show sure. that, hey, I'm the best wrestler in the world and this is what's going to fulfill me. No, I wanted to become Olympic champion because I wanted to hopefully have a platform to tell other people about all that God had done in my life. So my whole entire motivation changed. And, you know, you bring up the Olympics, and, and that's kind of one of my next questions, is your Olympic gold story is interesting on many levels, but from an adversity and God's impact in your life, you know, I find it fascinating that, you know, your story for anybody listening who doesn't know is you, you have an amazing run in the Olympics. You're, you're doing awesome. You lose in the finals for nothing. And then it wasn't until, what was it, like a couple days later that they drug tested him and found out he tested positive for steroids? Or what was the time frame there? Well, I think they tested him that night in Sydney. And I think they found out the next day. But they didn't tell the world. Yeah. You know, they didn't tell me until three weeks later. So so in that three-week time period, what were you dealing with? Like, what was How were you handling that defeat and that adversity of, man, I was so close to Olympic gold. What a roller coaster of that kind of defeat. And then three weeks later, oh, no, you did win. He, he tested positive for steroids. He's out. What was that three weeks like? Well, I would say it was, it was challenging for that evening yep. in Sydney, Australia, because if anybody's ever really watched the match, if you watch it, it's a very strange match. Yeah. You know, that was back when, you know, you had the up, you had the clinch. Yeah. Um, so you watch the match. I believe early I got an escape that they didn't award me. Back then, if you got away from the guy and came back and attacked him, they're supposed to give you one. The ref gives me one. They didn't confirm it. That would have changed everything if I'd have got that point. But we didn't. Uh, we go to the the clinch, right? So I'm supposed to get a lock, right? Oh, actually, he's supposed to get a lock, and he goes to lock on me, and he like pump fakes me, and so I move. Like he should have just locked, but he kind of sure. faked and I moved, right? He faked and I moved. Anyway, they warned me. I let him lock. I'm locked. We're locked for about five seconds. They, the ref could have blown the whistle. No problem. They stop. They caution me. They give him two points. Mm-hmm. Now, with a caution, I have to go down now. So now I go down. He's trying to turn me. He goes to get his hands locked. I grab his hand. I squeeze it. And he there's pictures of this. He's like going, ah, screaming. <laughs> like, I have a pretty good grip strength, but not enough to make a grown man yell sure. out like that. Yeah. So faking, they slap his hand, they slap my hand, right? They bring us back up, second caution. Now he gets another point. So he's up 3-0. And what happens when I get a second caution? I have to go back down again. Yeah. So I'm down for about another 40 seconds. They leave me down there, not 15, probably about 40. And so he's up 3-0. And back then, if you remember the rules, you had to have three points or you went into overtime. Well, he had the magical three points in hand already. So now there's about a minute left in the match. Alexander Leopold happens to be one of the best defensive wrestlers of all time. Watch any of his matches. Watch Satya wrestling multiple times. He's tough to take down. So I made some attempts to take him down. I didn't take him down. I throw a Hail Mary with about 30 seconds left to try to get to his leg. And that was the one point I got extended. That was the one point he actually got around behind me and scored on me. So, yeah, 4-0. The hard thing was that night, I would say, getting on the award stand with the silver medal, thinking that, that was the strangest match I've ever wrestled in my life, and it, and it happened to be the, the biggest one. Yeah. It happened to be the Olympic finals. I've never been called for two cautions like that. I've got the silver. I was upset that night. But I would say <clears throat> about an hour later, when I walked out of the arena and I saw all my friends and family, about 20 of them standing out there waiting for me with arms wide open, telling me they love me, telling me they were proud of me, 
like I realized at that moment there was more to life than gold medals. Sure. So even though I had this silver medal around my neck, there was more to life than gold medals. And I think that was kind of, that was my battle cry that night, the next day. And then the next three weeks was like, Hey, there's more to life than gold medals. It's about your faith, your integrity, right? And how you treat other people and then the effort that you get. So that was my message. And then about three weeks later, clearly we came to find out that the silver was turning to gold. And what was that like? What was your reaction when I believe they did a, a gold medal ceremony right on the Today Show, right? On the Today Show with uh, Matt Lauer <laughs> and uh, Katie Couric and uh, Al Roker. So yeah, they uh, they had the, the same award stands right out there, Rockefeller Square, and they brought the guy from Korea over who went from right third to um, second, and then they brought the guy from Turkey over, Adam Barakat, who he was really happy, right, because he had no medal. Yeah. So from fourth to third. So if you that was the guy, he was happier than everybody. And then clearly, you know, I was able to go from silver to gold. And and I think that was really special to be able to to finally sing the Star Spangled Banner like I envisioned yep. thousands of times. To be able to get the gold medal put around my neck, which I envisioned thousands of times, and have you know, that lady had me bend my head down, and I bent my head down and she, you know, she looked at me and said, You will forever be Olympic champion. So, cool. so I'd always thought of that growing up. And so when that finally happened, and um, you know, I got my Olympic medals here hanging over here in my office. Like it's really, I mean, it's really special, but it's not like I did anything different, Justin, from Sydney having yep. silver to getting the gold. It's not like I worked any harder. Yep. It's not like I beat any more, beat any extra wrestlers. It's like it was, I was the same person, yep. but the difference was is the guy that who had the gold before he'd made bad decisions. And I think that's a lesson in itself too, that that when you choose to cheat like that, you choose to make bad decisions, not only can it destroy your dream, yeah. right, it can destroy your life because Leopold, he went on actually to have a stroke. Um, he had to kind of come back physically and learn to kind of walk and talk again. And thankfully, he's doing better now. He's healthy now. But, you know, there, there are ramifications yeah. for making bad decisions in life. And then, you know, there's there's blessings from making good decisions in life. And so I think that's a, that's a lesson I teach my kids. That's the lesson hopefully I can teach young adults, and um, you know, I'm thankful for that opportunity. And after you get that gold, which was such an amazing dream to have fulfilled, what was it like after that transitioning into coaching? Well, I did, I never told anybody ever I wanted to be a wrestling coach. never came out of my mouth. I didn't choose to go to Penn to be a wrestling coach. I didn't go to the Warren School of Business to get a dual degree in finance, hospital right. management to be a wrestling coach. And – it's interesting that when you when you win a gold medal in the Olympics, how your life changes. And what I mean by that is that now you have all this opportunity. Hey, we come speak to the school. You come do this wrestling clinic. And then, you know, God had really changed my life. And so I was being bold in my faith. So I had the opportunity to go speak to, to youth groups and speak in some church services. So I was not married. I didn't have kids at that period of time. You know, I, I just turned 25 years old in October of of 2000. So I was kind of free, meaning I was free to, yeah. to go out and, and to do what I talked about before with you, mm-hmm. that I told you my motive was hopefully to be able to use this gold medal to have a platform yep. to glorify God and, and draw attention to him. So I thought I have the freedom to do that. And I spent I spent probably about three years um, doing that, traveling all around the world, doing wrestling clinics. I think I spoke to about 400 schools wow. during those three years. Um 
I started developing uh, messages to give because what ends up happening is that when you speak that often and you're kind of telling your story, what happens is you actually get you get sick of talking about yourself. Sure. And so I, I say this that. respectfully today on the show, but yeah. um, you know, you just you know, after a while, you get sick of talking about yourself, and so sure. you're like, look, I want to talk about me. I want to. You know, spiritually, I was like, I want to teach you guys word. I want to put together a message for you and have some illustrations and, and some application to how you can be the best person you can be. So I started doing a lot more of that, speaking to churches. And then then I got to the point where I was getting to be like 28, 29 years old. And I thought, well, gosh, I mean, I should probably get a job like, like most guys do. <laughs> like, I probably should start working. Um, and that's when... I had the opportunity to to uh, I took a job in commercial real estate in downtown Dallas. A guy who owned the company was from Amarillo, Texas. He'd become really successful. And so I had this degree in finance. And so we were buying and selling buildings. I was representing um, landlords, building owners on their leases. I was representing um, businesses, tenants on their leases. And so I did that for mm, almost five years. And that's when I really started missing wrestling. Yep. And so, you know, I'm wearing a suit and tie every day, getting my shoes shined, picking out, you know, the right tie to wear, you know, <laughs> walking in and, out, in and out of like buildings in downtown Dallas. I'm like, what am I doing? Like, I want to be, I want to prepare somebody to beat the Russians. I want to prepare somebody to beat the Iranians. Like, what am I doing? Yep. And then it was just to get back in God's sovereignty. Again, his, his, uh, his control is, you know, 2008, we end up having one medal in the Olympics. Henry Sudo was the only freestyle medal. And so they end up changing coaches. And so Kevin Jackson was no longer the national team coach. And they hired Zeke Jones to be the national coach. And Zeke was at the University of Pennsylvania. I don't know if people remember that at the time. He was the head coach at Penn. So he just uh, finished coaching Matt Valenti, Matt Valenti to his second NCAA title at Penn. And then he left Penn, became the national coach. And then he, um, in Scott's providence, he called me and said, hey, have you ever thought about getting back involved in wrestling? I said, you know, interestingly <laughs> enough, I have. So um, I took that job, and, and I'd been dating my girlfriend, Tina, at the time for two and a half years. So that sped the process up because she's like, I'm not moving anywhere, you know, until you put a ring on my finger. Yeah. So I took the job, got engaged, and then, um, you know, ended up moving to Colorado Springs. Then we got married, and then she moved there with me. And, and then I coached at USA Wrestling for two quads, right? I coached there for eight years. And what was that like to coach at the national level where here, you know, you, you dreamed for so many years of throwing that flag across your shoulders, both at a junior cadet level and then on, on the senior level to, to win an Olympic gold. What was it like to be able to know that, you know, I feel like coaching is such an important job, coaching teachers, you're impacting the lives of so many. And when you're doing it at that level, what was it like to do it on a, a national level like that? Well, at first it was really challenging. Justin, because the first day I went into the, the wrestling room at the Olympic Training Center, there were only two guys in there. There was Derek Moore, who was an NCAA champ, right, um, for Cal Davis, and he was like a 61-kilo guy. Yep. And then there was a guy named Mike Tamalo, who weighed about 210. So they couldn't even <laughs> – I mean, they were like – they couldn't even train with each other. So that was like day one where we had to start learning how to spar on day one because they were so different in size. Yep. And so a big part of it was really building that program. To, to have the fifth athlete, the 10th athlete. And so 
a big part of that was recruiting the athletes and we recruited the Paulson twins. Trent Travis Paulson came out, yeah. um, the WCAP program, world-class athlete program, started working with them to grow that. And guys like Philip Simpson started coming out. So I'm not going to name every wrestler that we had, but sure. you know, Jake Herbert started coming out and training. And then I recruited Chase Pammy from Cal Poly to come out and join our team. So we just started growing the wrestling team at the Olympic Training Center. And that's when, when I started having that, that good group of guys where I was running solid practices of, of 10 wrestlers or more. That's when I just realized I kind of took a step back and then I said, you know, I'm, it's a big responsibility that I use the term, like I'm the caretaker sure. of these guys, of their dreams. I'm the caretaker of their dreams. And so these guys, they're not, you know, 15, they're men. Some of these guys are like Philip Simpson was married and had kids. It's I'm responsible for these men's dreams. And so that's when I started realizing how, what an honor it was to be a coach, what a, what a responsibility it was to help them grow spiritually, you know, mentally, and then physically in wrestling. And then you know, one thing I learned from my career is that, you know, I could help them make national teams, make world teams, be Olympic champions. But if, if all I did was help them win wrestling matches and I didn't teach them anything about life, then in many ways I was a failure. And that's when I just... I started realizing that there needed to be this holistic approach, meaning the spiritual approach, mental approach, physical approach. So you know, we started a Bible study out at the Olympic Training Center. The guys started coming to, and, and that continued to grow. Um, and then I think for me, when I really started kind of getting excited is that Bruce Burnett, um, Zeke Jones left and became the coach at Arizona State. Bruce Burnett, who was my national coach when I wrestled at the Olympic Training Center, he came back and I, I kind of saw him as like a, you know, just a fantastic role model and mentor for me for coaching. And so he asked me to take over the national development program. So I went from focusing just on the seniors and the resident program to all of a sudden I was still responsible for that. Yeah. But then I was like, hey, I want you to take on this responsibility of the national development coach. And that's when we came up with this idea to start recruiting guys like Kyle Snyder to yeah. come out and live at the Olympic Training Center as a 17-year-old right. and train with us his senior year in high school, like don't go to your high school and be a four-time state champ. I mean, he right. talked about how being three-timer, well, he could have been a four-timer. Yeah. And he chose to give that up to come train with us to recruit a guy like Mark Hall, who did want to be a six-time state champ, the first one <laughs> in our nation's history. <laughs> right. And so he came out every year right after, at the end of March, and he spent about five summers with us. So that, that, addition of starting to grow the development program yeah. and helping the Kyle Snyders, the Mark Halls um, develop as I would say young men to men was something that I got really excited about. You know, to this day, I look back and I think about the success that, you know, that the Kyle Snyders had and I think about the success Mark Halls had. And I was just one, you know, I was just one of the coaches there. You know, coach Zadick was, he was also an assistant national coach. And so, for for time, it was Zeke Jones, Coach Zadick, and I, and then it was Bruce Burnett as the national coach, and Coach Zadick and I. And so, you know, that group of coaches we had, I think, really, um, I think, helped change the the overall system of wrestling in our country. What I mean by that is that, you know, with Zeke Jones there, we we helped start the RTC program, which that started in about 2010. You know, 2009, 2010 is when that started. Here we are, 10 years later, and there's over 50 RTCs. You look back at our development program, we were, we were like winning like maybe one medal a year <laughs> in, the, in the cadets and juniors. Right. And I think during my time there, and again, I say humbly, but I think we won like 29 medals 
Um, and so, you know, you look at how Mark Hall's done and you look how Yanni was part of that and you look at how, you know, Kyle Snyder's done, you know, I, um, I have great joy that come, that comes from those, those years of USA wrestling. And what, what led you back to not kind of back, but going back to the Penn RTC, like what led you over there? Well, a big part of it was, you know, there's a lot of a lot of benefits working for USA Wrestling. Um, yep. the, the tough thing is that there's only three freestyle coaches. Yep. The men's side, and so what I mean by that is that every single tour around the world has to be covered. Yep. By those coaches. So in 2016 is a great example. I was gone over a hundred days. Wow. And so I was married. I had three girls at the time. And it was really my wife was like, is there, is there anything else you can do <laughs> that is um, family friendly? Yeah. Right? And I just said, Hey, I've done this for two quads. And I was on the board of the PRTC, the Pennsylvania Regional Training Center. And they'd heard me talk about how much I traveled. And one of my friends was on the board finally said, Hey, on one of our board calls, he's like, Hey, there's an elephant in the room. Let's just talk about it. Yep. Like, would you ever consider moving from Colorado Springs, you know, back up to Philadelphia and leading the PRTC. And I was like, well, no, I, n- I never thought about moving back to the Northeast. <laughs> so no, never thought about it. Just like I never thought about coaching though either. So it's yeah. back to this whole uh, sovereignty thing. He's in yeah. control and he's going to lead us where he wants us to go. And I told him, I said, no, I've never thought about it, but you know, let's, let's talk about it. How much would I have to travel? And they said, well, you're the executive director and the head coach. You, you really, it's up to you. And so I talked to my wife about that. And long story short, we realized that it was going to be a best decision for our family. And, and we talked about maybe having a fourth kid because I told you I have three girls. So yeah. what do you think I wanted to have? A to boy, balance things out. A boy, yeah. <laughs> right. So my wife was really clear, like, hey, we're not even trying for a fourth kid unless something changes with your travel schedule. And so, uh, yeah. you know, thankfully I took this job. We moved up here. I moved, I moved to wrestling country in Pennsylvania and, yeah. uh, you know, tried for a fourth kid and praise the Lord. We had a little sorrier. So it's been um it's been a great change for our family because I don't travel so much. And then I've been able to really help my alma mater, like you said, the University of Pennsylvania. And then there's also been this great uh, addition of helping Drexel too. Drexel's one block away. So our RTC is a combination of Penn and Drexel together. What was your reaction to the NCAAs being canceled? You know, originally I thought they could have wrestled the tournament yeah. with no fans there, just like they wrestled the uh, Pan Am Olympic qualifier in Ottawa yep. with no fans there. I really thought they, they could have done that. But but now uh, I realized how much this virus has spread into New York. And, and as, as I've seen more visual video of people laying on their stomachs because their lungs are filled with fluid, like a lot of these people in the hospital, you'll see them, they're face down just because fluid's in their lungs. As I've seen some of the visuals of that, I look back now and I've realized that that I believe that was the overall the best decision. So then that causes me to, my heart goes out to certain guys I have great relationships with. So like I call Mark Hall to check in on him. It's like, yeah. hey, I know you want to be a national champ again. <laughs> Last year, I, don't know, I know you want to finish strong that way. To check in on him. And, you know, there's a lot of other guys I call to check in on just to see where they're at. And so, you know, I feel for those guys, but also know there's a lot of unknowns. We don't know if some of these guys, if, if they are going to get, another year eligibility. There's still so many unknowns. I think we're just in this, we're just in this stage right now, this phase right now, Justin, of like unknown. I get on some of these conference calls about whether they're going to have their Olympics and just, it's unknown. 
Yeah. You talk about the NCAA. Hey, you're going to get another year of eligibility. It's unknown. Hey, what are they going to have the Olympic trials? May 23rd, 24th? Or are they going to put it into June? It's unknown. Hey, are they going to have the Olympics in Tokyo? It's unknown. And that kind of kind of brings me back to like there's there's a paradoxical um, joy in the unknown. Yep. I think so many times we want to wake up every day and, and go like, hey, let me. Let me, let me look at my to-do list. I'm going, pop, 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 pop. And I got to know exactly what I'm doing all the and time. And for the next three months. <laughs> yeah, I'm stressed out. And hey, do you have it on your calendar? Did you send me the invite for that? Did you put an alert, you know, an hour alert yeah. for that? Am I organized? Do I have all my I's dotted and T's crossed? And I think in our culture, we, we're almost, we're addicted to that. And I think right now there's this, there's this joy coming from like, uh, it's okay to not know. It's okay to not have this to-do list every single day that we're sticking to, you know, dogmatically. Yep. And and you'd say, well, cool, okay. So what's what's the application of that, Brandon? I would say, you know, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is Matthew six thirty four, where you know Jesus is telling people, hey, don't worry about tomorrow. Yep. Because today has enough worries of its own. So we can sit there and stress about. You know, are they going to get another year of eligibility? When are the Olympics going to be? When are the trials going to be? What's going to happen here? What's going to happen there? And I think God's saying, like, just trust me today. You have enough things to take care of today, right? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so just just focus on today and don't get stressed out about tomorrow. And then the other application, which is actually the verse before that, which is the key to it, is that Jesus says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things. Olympic trials, last chance qualifier, <laughs> Olympics, you're going to get another year eligibility, et cetera, your job, um, paycheck, seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And he says all these other things will be added into you. They'll be taken care of. Yeah. And so what that really is saying is that I think so too often that we live for our kingdom, Brandon's kingdom yep. versus God's kingdom. And the more I focus on, on being obedient to God, surrendering to him, focus on his kingdom, then it's the trust that he's going to take care of everything else. And then tell me like, don't worry about tomorrow. Just focus on my kingdom today and everything's going to be okay. I think that, I think that's truth. And I think that this time is hopefully allow people to have a greater realization of that. Yeah. When I just had Bo on the podcast, I think it was last week about getting some of these athletes reaction to the trials being postponed. And I said, there's, there's kind of a beauty in having to trust in God, because what's your other option? You don't know what the future holds, especially a time like this. And I'm curious, I, I'm sure your your reaction and perspective is the same for the Olympic trials being postponed right now, but it's a little bit different for you than the NCAAs because being an RTC head coach, you know, you don't have athletes in college directly, but with the RTC, you have guys like Joey McKenna, who, you know, like you said before, you're, the, you're their caregiver. You're the guy who's trying to lead them. And when you're leading someone now into the unknown, how, how are you handling that? Well, well, the conundrum is, is that Penn's closed. You can't train at the University of Pennsylvania. You can't train at Drexel. Most of the, the high schools that we'd say, Malvern Prep, some of these top high schools around here, will just go there. They're closed. Yeah. So the, these, these wrestling rooms aren't available for us to train. So then you start getting creative. And there are three specific rooms we can go to where, where guys, they own, you know, these buildings behind their businesses and they have a couple mats in there. And so we can go in there and train. And so those places are available to us and we're going to do that. But the challenge for me is that being married and having four kids, 
you know, my wife asked the wise question is like, is it right now at this exact moment? Is it really necessary for you to go every single Monday, Tuesday, say we take off Wednesday on the mats, Thursday and Friday? Is it necessary to go in that environment, this unknown environment around people that are out around other people? Is it really necessary to do that right now? And that's a great question. That's why when you get married, I encourage everybody just, you know, listen to your wife. You know, God gives you um, these amazing women to to help you. And, you know, that's why, like, last week for the most part, you know, I encourage guys to do some things on their own. You know, Joey, I sent Joey McKinnon, Ethan Lezak, and Dan Valmont. They went up to the New York City RTC, yep. and they trained with Kendall Cross because um, Frank Chimizo was there, and Nick Seriano was there, and Evan Henderson. So they had an environment that wasn't – it was at a business. You know, the Edge is at a, yep. it's at a location there in Hoboken. So they trained there Monday and Tuesday, but then on Tuesday, Kendall Cross called me and said, hey, Brandon, we're going to have to – you know, we're shutting it down here too. Yeah. So then my guys come back, they, they trained on their own at the end of the week, but now we're starting this next week. So, you know, your question is very apropos because this next week, I mean, these guys, we don't know when they're going to have the Olympic trials, but if they are going to have the Olympic trials, we can't just, we can't just, you know, get jump ropes and, uh, you know, and pummel in the grass right. every day to prepare for guys. I mean, there's going to need to be, some focused training. I would say that that's what I'm praying about now is how to best handle that to make sure my guys are, are developing and they're getting everything they need, but that we're also being wise and we're staying safe and we're not surrounding ourselves with too many people to increase our risk, but, um, but work has to be done. And, and, you know, you call these guys and I'm not going to name names, but I mean, some of the best wrestlers that we have in our country that have the chance to be world Olympic champions, they're calling me and saying, Hey, what are you guys doing? You know, we might have to get together to start because they shut our place down. Like they shut all the big 10 schools down. Right. So they shut Penn state down, they shut Nebraska down. And so I think we're going to have USA wrestling. We're going to have to have some calls and get together to think about the best way to train our, train our guys. Like that's the, that's the challenge right now. Yeah. Especially. And, and I kind of ask you that too. Like there's obviously the bit of the unknown. And if I ask you that question next Sunday, it could be completely different. Because if, like you said, number one, how this week, everything's changing so rapidly. And I think that's one of the concerns so many have right now with the Olympic trials. It's like, look, at even if you have them end of May, early June, you hear a lot right now. It's like, what if guys can't train for the next month? That's the big thing for me. And, you know, your response made me think of, of one more question here before I let you go. Wrestling is such an interesting sport. And some of these recent episodes, I've really been kind of thinking about attention and the wrestling career seems like it's unlike any other with the ebbs and flows of your career and the attention. You go from kind of wrestling many like youth wrestling practices or, you know, like in a gym attached to an actual gym. It's just a couple mats laying down. And you made me think of that when you said it's like there's a couple mats behind a business guy's place who he used to wrestle. And, you know, you go from like a back gym to NCAA's to a junior world championship, to, you know, NCAAs, to the Olympics, to a back gym again. And there's such ebbs and flow of attention on you. And that's not that typical for sports. I feel like sports are a lot more like flatlined. The crowds don't change as drastically as they do for wrestling. What was it like throughout your career and even now coaching what is it like dealing with all those different levels of attention and not kind of getting distracted by it? 
Uh, I would say for me, I've never really, <laughs> I've never focused too much on the fans and, and all that hoopla, if you want to call it that. Sure. <laughs> I think the older that I've gotten, it's, it's to focus on the purity of, of the sport yep. and just the, just the uniqueness of going into whether it's where it's a, whether it's above a guy's garage, he's got a mat above his garage yep. and we're going up there, which we did last week too, you know, <laughs> to get a workout in yep. and you know, we're warming up and Hey guys, start pummeling to get warm. And just that, um, you know, just that, that physical nature of our sport and starting to working on, Hey, we're going to get better running the pipe and finish single legs. Hey, we're going to get better at gun ranch. So move your lock over to get it right below that guy's ribs. So when you squeeze on him, you know, he's not going to be able to breathe very well. Yeah. Just the uniqueness of all these techniques, but doing it um, in a physical way where at the end of the practice, like you got better at technique, but you're also like physically drained and you can kind of look around, you know, it's your teammates, and the guys you train with. And you realize like, there's very few people on the planet yep. who just did what we did today. And Oh, by the way, where we just did it. So Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we do this sometimes at Olympic Training Center now where there's eight mats and they have one of the nicest weight rooms in the in the world. And, you know, there's times that we do it in Cuba yep. where it's an open-air facility and you have to mop the bird poop off the mat <laughs> before you train. And there's times we do it above a guy's garage. And it's all still wrestling. Yep. So it doesn't matter whether you're on the you're on the stage in the Olympic finals or whether, you know, you're you're in Cuba in an open gym, you know, training with guys who, uh, in, in a country where people make $40 a month, you know, it's, it's still this, this sport that we love dearly. And that's what I think is so great about it. And you don't need anything, you know, there's no offense to other sports. We don't need bats and balls and big stadiums and all that. We just need a, we just need a mat. Um, and sometimes if we don't have a mat again, yeah, we'll pummel in the grass. You know, and, and you watch some of these videos sometimes on Instagram where guys are wrestling, you know, on tops of mountains, you know, and there's snow and you yeah. see them wrestling out in the middle of the field and wrestling. You know, there's times I took Bo Nickel actually and some guys to uh, to Turkey one time and they didn't have a place for us to, to train the three days before the tournament. So it was uh, we actually had to, to drill and train on the beach and we did all of our drilling you know, on board shorts on the beach you know, leading up to the tournament. But it's all it's all still this 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 price of sport, you know, that yeah. God's given us. And that's what I love it so much. And I think that's where you have to come back to why you do it. You should wrestle because you love it, because you love the sport. You love the, the, the grittiness of it. You love the, the brotherhood, the camaraderie, and then you love the, the discipline and the lessons that it teaches you. And hopefully the lessons that it teaches you to pour into other people yeah. and you're not making it all about yourself. You're realizing there's something greater in this world than yourself and I just encourage anybody that takes the time to listen to this to don't don't just wrestle for you. Make sure that you're wrestling to learn um, important lessons of character that you can pay forward and pour into other people the rest of your life because that's what's really important. Yeah, hundred percent. I couldn't agree more. And I, I think that's a good way to wrap this up. That's all I really have for you today. I appreciate you making the making the time to to stop by and. I hope you're you're quarantined. I hate that word too. It, it sounds negative, but I almost want to just call it like the great pause or something. But I, I hope you enjoy this time, man. I do. Well, thank you. I, I would just last thing I would say is it's it's been interesting now that people are, are home more and there's more podcasts and things. Yeah. You know, we actually have a podcast called the Greater Gold Leadership Podcast. I think you've listened to some of those. Yeah, it's good. So the website's Greater Gold, GreaterGold.com, and then you can find us on Instagram at, at the Greater Gold. So. 
feel free to check that out. Kyle Snyder is one of those episodes. I think he did a fantastic he job. Awesome. Of, um, yep. How important wrestling is to his life. So take time to listen to those. And again, back to the margin time. We've got some time nowadays. Listen to some podcasts, you know, read some books, spend some time with your family and friends and, and make sure that you enjoy um, this time that we have. 100%. Awesome, man. Thank you again. And I'm sure we'll, we'll speak soon. Thanks for your time, Justin. Take care. Awesome. And that is today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's episode, head over to thenewbashmania.com. And in the podcast archives, you can simply click on Faith and hear more episodes that touch on faith and Christianity. Also, if you enjoyed today's show, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and come back for more episodes. Thanks again for tuning in. See ya. And the beat goes on.